Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. The Unstoppable Freedom Alliance is part of a growing movement across America that's fighting for freedom and the values and ideals that this country was founded on. And I'm super excited about our guest today. Her name is Tiffany Justice, and she is the co-founder of a grassroots organization called Moms for Liberty that is spreading like wildfire across the United States with over 85,000 members. Tiffany is a wife and mom of four school-aged children. And in 2016, she stepped up to serve for four years on the school board in Indian River County, Florida. She believes that kids in public school deserve innovation and parents have the right to know about the interference from the unions and government bureaucracy that's keeping innovation from happening in their children's district. She's passionate about America and is dedicated to protecting liberty and freedom for generations to come. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on today. I'm so excited to talk about Moms for Liberty and all the great work moms are doing across the country. It truly is an amazing movement to watch and you're getting more and more uh, high profile, I think because it's so effective. I think what you're doing is so effective and, we're, and I've got a, a dozen questions to ask you about that because we wanna double your movement if we can uh, because we think you're so effective. But as we get started, we always ask our guests one simple question. What do you love most about America and why? Um, I love the fact that we can all live in this country and everyone can be an American. That we all come from different backgrounds and different faiths and different races and you know, but, but we can all come together as Americans. And that was the promise that I was raised with growing up, um, that we could marry whoever we wanted. And as long as we were respectful of everyone around us, that we could all live together. Um, and um, I think what makes me so sad right now is this effort to divide our children based on these characteristics that really, you know, they have much more in common with each other than they have um, different. And uh, so what I love about America is the fact that everyone comes together to be able to live, uh, hopefully harmoniously respecting each other. Um, and, and I think that's probably part of the reason why I fight so hard uh, to get back to where yeah. we all know we should be. Well, it's funny because you just defined e pluribus unum, right? Out of many, one. And I, and I think I grew up with those same, that same picture of America, that no matter how different we appeared to be, may, you know, maybe with race or gender or um, where we come from, uh, socioeconomics, what side of the, did, none of it mattered because we were all Americans, right? Yeah, and I think we have a generation of kids now. I mean, we'll take marriage, for example. You know, we have interracial marriage, and it was something that we celebrated when I was growing up. You could date whoever you wanted. There was no, my, no one ever said to me, you can't, you know, you can't date this person because they're not your, the same religion, or you can't date this person because you're not the same race. And so, you know, my friends, my age group, I'm in my early 40s, you know, we really did live and, and marry whoever we wanted and have babies with whoever we wanted to. And, yeah. you know, I look at our schools right now and in specifically with that instance that I see with CRT and how divisive and toxic critical race theory is and critical theory in general. And I think American parents in my age group, you know, this kind of like 30s and 40s, we're all looking at each other and saying, wait a second, being colorblind used to be something that was celebrated, right? We were looking, it wasn't that we didn't see race, but that we were not judging anyone by their race or by their, and, and yet, you know, we see our kids being sometimes divided in two in school. And so um, I think American parents have had it with the woke nonsense. They want to get back to allowing our kids to be kids again, to focus on, um, you know, learning and, and growing up in a country that they can be proud to be a part of. 
Yeah, it, it's funny how education has changed so much. My father was a superintendent of schools in Rochester, New York, and I remember growing up, I had some pressure to to perform academically and you know to kind of be a good kid because I my dad was in the district and I had to represent our family and I felt that. And I think none of the, most of what we're experiencing in our schools today never would have been taught, never would have been talked about, never would have been um, even thought about the stuff that we're using today to indoctrinate our kids. You mentioned critical race theory. Let's just get right into it. Because um, I, I think it's one of the most destructive ideologies that I've ever seen, dividing our kids based on the color of their skin and then giving them certain labels. Talk a little bit about how they label kids based upon those characteristics. Yeah, well, I mean, basically what they're doing is they're having kids judge each other based on immutable characteristics, right? And, and so we're seeing lots of different things, privilege walks, this idea of children, you know, being segregated or parents being segregated into what they would call affinity groups so that, you know, white people and white parents are having a conversation about something and then black parents are going to have a conversation about it or there's going to be different, you know, nights for parents. That's just craziness, right? What we know in America's public schools is that a child's race is not an indicator of the success that they can have in the classroom. And, you know, there's no room for discrimination in America's public schools. 95% right. of children have the ability to learn to read, but not but 95% of kids are not learning how to read in America's public schools. And so what we're seeing, and I call it alphabet soup, right? It, it's like this CRT, um, which is critical race theory, SEL, which is social emotional learning, DEI, which would be diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right now we're seeing gender theory um, it kind of making its way into the classroom, queer theory. Um, and so all of this, I think, is just an excuse for educational failure, honestly. Um, you know, our unions don't want to own the harm um, of the fact that we have uh, a nation of teachers who really need to uh, be given the tools to reach students in the classroom and not every teacher has those tools in their toolbox to be able to especially with our youngest learners obviously teach kids to read and what we see happening is that kids come into the classrooms with huge deficits you know, they're not reading on grade level. Um, before they come in, they're, they're probably not on grade level, right? So before, perhaps a child would go through some type of early education, early childhood education. But if you've got kindergartners who can't spell their name, don't know how to hold a pencil, don't know their alphabet at all, you know, have no phonemic awareness. And then we look at some of the curriculum, which also doesn't have, it's not teaching the science of reading, it's not direct instruction very, very concerning situation happening. And so you said in my bio about, you know, parents have the right to know what's happening. They do. Parents need to know that unions have an undue influence in our kids' education. And um, if because honestly, Jimmy, we're not we haven't been there, have we to have our voices heard. And so Moms for Liberty members are getting reengaged at the ground level in their schools um, and and pushing out some of this woke nonsense, because what parents are saying is if kids aren't learning the skills that they need to be successful in life, why are you teaching them all this other stuff? Right. Yes. Yeah. And for, I think for me, too, you know. I remember when COVID started, right? Because it had a direct impact on the education for my daughter who was still in high school at the time. She was a junior in high school. And I think a lot of parents like me um, became much more aware of what was going on in the classroom because they went to remote learning. And I'll never forget, I was, I was down in our basement uh, exercise area and my daughter came down and she was online in a Zoom classroom. And I got a bird's eye view of what was actually happening in that classroom. 
and the material that was being taught, the the bullying, the, the lack of the ability to have more than the one opinion about a topic. If you dissented about an opinion or had a, a very a, a different idea about it, you were immediately kind of shamed and bullied, sometimes by the teacher, which was a stunner for me. You know, I heard this happening. I saw it happening right in front of me. And that was the thing that kind of woke me up to say, I need to get involved. Is that what's happening with parents? Yeah, I think parents saw behind the education curtain. So you mentioned I'm a co-founder. Tina Deskovich is the other co-founder of Moms for Liberty. We both served as school board members. And, yeah. you know, being a mom, having four kids in public school, and then I, I say I unpacked a lot of backpacks. So I got to see what was happening in my kids' education. But then I also got to see the way that the district was prioritizing budget dollars and different things, right, how the board was working. And then COVID hit, and, and every American parent got to see behind the education curtain. Yes. They got to see what their kids were learning. They got to see what their kids weren't learning. They got to see um, really a nation turn their back on America's children. I think uh, parents across the country um, will never forget how our children were forced to shoulder the burden of adult selfishness and fear. Um, yes. You know, and, and unions kept schools closed and they worked with the CDC and the White House to keep schools closed. And so parents you know, honestly, we had an expert class that we trusted, and then we learned that we couldn't trust them. And so you'll hear me say often, um, COVID was very hard. I, I, I do not mean when I say this to, to take away um, any of the effects. I know that many people lost loved ones to COVID, and it was a difficult thing for our country to go through. But there are blessings here. Um, I call it COVID lemonade <laughs> because, um, you know, you're right. Parents got to see in, uh, into their kids' education, and they immediately said, wait a second, something is wrong here. This is not, you know, when I was in school, I didn't know the political leanings of my teachers, right? And yet it seems like our kids certainly do know. Um, and, you know, from my own experience, I have, you know, kids in high school, and my daughter will often say, you know, mom, it's just easier to go agree with the teacher and to write my paper and not worry about getting a bad grade, um, yeah. you know, and, and so we work with her to say, well, you need to stand up for what you believe in. But to see that happening in grand scale across the country, I think, yes. was a real wake up call to parents. Yeah. And I had that exact experience with my daughter. She wrote a paper on what I would consider a controversial topic, which is great. I, I love controversial topics because then you can really get into a robust debate and discussion about it. She wrote it from a particular um, ideology, from a particular values-based, got back a grade that was uh, did not reflect the quality of the work that she had done. And she approached her teacher and said, did I get a bad grade on this because I didn't go along with the way you wanted me to answer it? And to the teacher's credit, she did say, Yes. I mean, it's a stunner, to be honest. Uh, and my daughter just objected to that, wrote a, an email to the, the school and said, I don't think this is right. They agreed. They gave her another opportunity to, to complete it again, and she got a better grade. But the fact that that can happen, where political ideology or moral ideology can make its way into the classroom and affect our kids' grades or their courage to be able to stand up, are you, what are you seeing from a kid perspective now? Are they, are they emboldened now? Are they more courageous to stand up for what they believe in? 
Well, I mean, I think the children are being programmed, honestly. James Lindsay yeah. talks a lot about, if you haven't, if, if you don't listen, if anyone's listened to this podcast and you want to learn more about some of the things that are happening, he did a three-part series called Groomer Schools. And you can go on uh, New Discourses podcast and listen to that. But he talks often about the fact that the children are being programmed. It's more than just indoctrination at this point. They're being taught um, what to think and how to think it um, and, and what their reaction should be. So what we're seeing now in these schools and now elementary schools, and especially we can kind of zero in, I don't know if you're going to ask me about gender identity indoctrination, yep. um, but you know, I'm in, I live in Florida and, and, and am very familiar with kind of some of the legislation that we've been, you know, moving forward. Um, you have teachers and, and you have schools that are um, really talking to children about things that I think parents are wondering how it even made it into the classroom in the first place. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we are, parents are concerned. I, I, am I seeing that kids are standing up? Um, I think the kids knew that, I, I think a lot of kids knew that the masks were baloney, yeah. honestly. And I think mm -hmm. they saw the fact that their schools were closed and continued to remain closed even when other things could happen. And I think they knew that was baloney too. Now, yeah. Are kids standing up more? Yeah, I think that there are more kids that are standing up. And if you want advice about how to fight this woke nonsense, find a way to make fun of it with your kids and laugh with them. Um, it's the best thing you can possibly do. Get them laughing with you about it, the ridiculousness of some of it. Um, yeah. The concern, however, Jimmy, is I think children saw that their education wasn't valued very much. Hmm. And uh, in some cases, kids missed an entire year, yeah, a year and a half, right? And I and I think that honestly has affected uh, how seriously children value their education, their own education, when they've seen so many adults that just didn't seem to care that much about it. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think it was exposed, right? And now we know. We're, we're reaping that, the developmental lag, you know, our kids are so far behind. And then when you couple that with the mask mandates, where kids at their youngest ages aren't able to see people pronunciate and um, enunciate and, and their, their reading skills and everything. Now they've dumbed down the standards. Now, I think one of the things that bothers me most about that, and I think you're right, is that we have dumbed down the standards of what we expect now our kids to be able to do by the time they um, they graduate from high school. It's really kind of embarrassing, actually. Well, yeah, and, and I've said before, um, there are two things that public school districts do very well. The first is protect themselves, um, and they use our taxpayer money to do that, and they protect themselves very well. Uh, the second thing they do is celebrate themselves very well. And they sometimes celebrate themselves in order to protect themselves. And so what you're seeing with this kind of, you know, uh, degrading of meritocracy, right, the, 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 and, yes. and of, of expectations, lowering of expectations, is, um, you know, an ability for the districts to not have to hold themselves to the standard that they maybe had to in the past. And the only people that really lose out there, well, America loses out, but the kids lose out because, yeah. you know, how do you find these exceptional children and, 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 you know, special education children, especially, um, lost so much during COVID. Um, and, and especially for these children who would be twice exceptional, right? Perhaps, um, mm -hmm. are on the autism spectrum, but are also gifted or, um, have dys or dyslexics or, or dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalc, 
these different things that are, are developmental issues for children, but they can certainly find ways to overcome and be successful. They have so much to offer in this world. But unfortunately, you know, the real question for, for Americans right now is, are we unfolding the full potential of every child in our classrooms? And if we are not doing that, then what are we paying for? We are funding failure and we're funding failure at a rate that, um, you know, if you were a surgeon and two-thirds of the patients that you operated on died, would you still be able to, to do surgery? Would you still have hospital privileges, right? But yet we continue to send all of our kids into these classrooms and they're not getting what they need. And it is, um, it, it does paint a very bleak future for these kids when they can't read. You know, they're condemned to a life of struggle and oftentimes crime. And uh, no. you need to look no further than the news to see, you know, the rise in crime in America and to, to see where that's coming from. Yeah. And I think at the same time, it's funny, I, you know, I know that you being a board member, you fully understand the way those meetings go. And I remember the first time that I was motivated to go to a school board meeting and I went to the podium for my three minute talk, um, which, is, by the way, is, very, is <laughs> tough to get much said in three minutes, but you can do you can do your best. And I remember not being acknowledged by the uh, by the administration, not being acknowledged by the board members, really con quite condescending, actually. I wasn't used to that. I'm used to a professional environment where you show people respect, especially in that environment. They, they clearly weren't listening. And I can understand why parents get upset after a while and finally have to use emotion and passion in order to break through that to them because they are protecting themselves. They're celebrating these ridiculous wins and patting everybody on the back, but they're not dealing with the real issues that are surfaced with the parents. Tell us, uh, um, as a board member, you have a, a former board member, you have a very unique seat, right? Did you pay attention when parents communicated? <laughs> I did. You know, I mean, I would watch board members um, during COVID like this on their phones looking. Oh. And I just thought to myself, how amazing. I mean, it's so disrespectful. Um, I sat for hours and hours and hours of citizen input. This idea that somehow citizen input is new because of COVID is just not the case. We've always had parents coming to school board meetings, discussing different issues, and it's really a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, America's very unique. We have elected representatives that are in control and making decisions about education and education happening in our communities. And, and local control is, is very important and is something, you know, as much as we weren't happy with the way that school board members were acting in such a dismissive manner of parents, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't take away from how important that role is. Um, yeah. You know, so right. yeah, I, I think it's shocking. I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if it's interesting. Here you yeah. are, a parent, right? And if you're coming to your district and you're going to speak to the district um, about something that you're concerned about, you're oftentimes at a crisis point, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where you have, you're upset about something, um, you know, you're going to come and you're going to speak publicly about that. Those are your, you know, your, perhaps you ha have friends who work in the district, right? Um, you know, you may be concerned about backlash uh, for yourself or for your children in your, your community or in the schools. So it's not an easy thing to do. Okay. And for board members or a superintendent to not respect that, to not listen, um, it's just wrong. And, yeah. and it certainly isn't going to solve any problems. That was the interesting thing with everything that happened with the DOJ and with what we saw happen with, you know, even the school districts kind of eliminating public comment or shutting it down. What do they think is going to happen? Do they think the problems will go away because they're right. not addressing them? No. Right. 
that's not how that works, right? You, you put a lid on a boiling pot, it, 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 you know, you, you see what it looks like. Yeah, it eventually blows. And, and I think that's what's happening, right? I, I was thinking back to the fact that parental rights have probably never been under more attack than right now, right? I mean, you're, you're hearing elected officials actually say it out loud. I mean, I love this part of politics now. Everyone's starting to say the things that they say quietly. Now they're saying them out loud in public. And I remember, yeah, it's like, wow, we're so good. Finally, honesty, uh, let's try that for a while. Oh my gosh, imagine that, right? And I remember seeing in Loudoun County, so I'm originally from the East Coast, uh, I've got family in Virginia. I actually have a, a sister who's a teacher in Fairfax County. And I remember when all of this Loudoun County stuff started to blow up, right? And parent, you saw these meeting, the board meetings where you had hundreds of parents in there, even in the middle of COVID, just going bonkers. I finally understood the reason to bring absolute passion and emotion to the mix because no one will listen otherwise. That's what we're seeing. No one respects these parents, no one listens. But I think in Loudoun County, it was kind of one of those moments, the perfect storm, right? And do, do you, feel, and I'm sure you guys were involved there as well. Um, we've been labeled parents who show up to advocate for their kids. And by the way, I think parents, I think we're actually the customer because we're the taxpayer. It's another topic. Um, we've been labeled as domestic terrorists by some of the highest ranking officials in America. Yes. What kind of an effect does that have on people participating? Um, I think it had the initial desired effect uh, that the DOJ wanted, that Merrick Garland and the National School Board Association and M Miguel Cardona and Randy Weingarten and Becky Pringle and AFT and NEA, and I name all of them because I want them to know we see all of them. I think it had the desired effect at first that they wanted it to. Um, parents were concerned. Um, I'm not going to lie about that. I, when the American government says that they're going to consider uh, citizens to be domestic terrorists, that's concerning. When our moms are being contacted by FBI field offices, which they were, that is concerning. When they're asking you questions about whether or not you have firearms, whether or not you have mental a history. I mean, these are questions that I've heard have been asked of parents across the country. Um, and, and that is not the way that the Patriot Act was meant to be used. And so... Um, Fundamentally, we saw that there was something very broken there, and we saw that bureaucrats have, again, an undue influence on our kids' education. Not surprising to parents, um, surprising, I think, maybe for the DOJ, right, to, to come out and do that, for the, you know, the, the attorney general to speak in that manner. Um, yeah. And still, no apology. No. Um, and, and no, no apology. Um, although I think the National School Board Association has certainly felt the effects um, from the state boards, you know, the state board associations leaving. I think there has been some corrective action there. Um, yeah. I think in general, though, what it did was really tick parents off. So I think <laughs> yeah. there was a moment of, of, of a chilling of speech. I think there was a step for a moment to say, my goodness, is this really where we are in America? And then I think there was a deep collective breath taken and we said, now we need to fight even harder. And, yeah. and that's really where the year of the parent came from. You know, yeah. I, I said that in an interview that 2022 was going to be the year of the parent. I, I truly believe that. I do not believe that parents will stop until Merrick Garland um, is no longer the attorney general, until we right the ship of America and, and we really get people into positions that are going to put children first because they are the future of our country. And the idea that the federal government would somehow want to silence the voices of the guardians of these children um, so they can exert their will is unacceptable to us. It is. 
I, I like you, I mean, as soon as I heard that we were being called domestic terrorists, I wanted to show up on the off days. I'm like, great, where, how do I get there an additional day this week? It made me so mad to consider that our government was standing in opposition to us when we actually have known domestic terrorists that aren't called known domestic terrorists. Uh, it, it just, it's maddening. But what it did, I think for us in our communities too, is everyone said, oh wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're not putting up with that. Right. Let's show up in bigger numbers now. And I think that's the effect it had. Yeah, Let, I, I have to think there are very few things that you could say to me that would hurt me as much as calling me, you know, a domestic terrorist. Honestly, right. uh, you know, I, it was shocking and it was never something that we embraced. Tina and I immediately, when we yeah. heard that, we saw some people say, oh, I'm a domestic. No, no, absolutely not. You know, we, you have moms that love their families that are working hard every day to build a bright future and to somehow consider them to be enemies of the United States is just crazy. ridiculous. It is crazy. And I think about the sacrifice, you touched on it earlier. It does take sacrifice to show up at these school board meetings because they're usually in the evenings after a full day of work, um, usually some school time with your kids. A lot of times you're, you have after school activities. And most of the time I'm heading to these meetings, I'm, I haven't eaten dinner. I'm racing to the board meeting because I want to contribute to the future of our kids, to their success. And, uh, and I think that's what motivates most parents, right? There are, there are three words that come to mind when I think in terms of what's happening in our schools today, and you've touched on a couple of them, but grooming is a big one, right? Grooming, and I wanna talk more about what's happening there. They're exposing our kids to inappropriate content and conversations about gender, sex, sexuality, you name it, that, that in another setting, and I've tried to make this parallel, that if that was a member of the clergy having that conversation with my six-year-old, I would press charges against that person. If this was a neighbor who was having this conversation with my nine-year-old or my 10-year-old, I would probably have a pretty good confrontation with my neighbor because it's, I can't even fathom a time when an adult should be in a position to have those types of conversations with our kids where they're being exposed to material and curriculum, where they're being groomed for future sexual abuse, Talk a little bit about what's actually happening in our schools. Well, it really depends what state you're in as to where you are in this process, right? But what we'll start with with what recently happened in Florida. I think most of America has heard yes. about uh, HB 1557. It was Florida House Bill. It was the Parental Rights and Education Bill. So last year in Florida, uh, we worked hard to get a, a parents' bill of rights passed. And then this year, we built onto that. So this was specifically parental rights and education. And it said a couple of different things. It said that there should be no gender identity instruction or sexual orientation instruction happening in grades K through three. And then it went on and, and said that parents um, must be involved in many different facets of their children's lives. And if there was any type of mental health or physical health concern, um, that parents need to be a part of that. They need to be aware of it and that the school should be working to strengthen the relationship between the parent and the child. And then it went one step further and it created a private right of action for parents to be able to hold districts accountable and sue if their rights are violated. And um, boy, did the left lose their minds. I mean, people yep. lost their minds. The Florida Democrats, and, and I don't think it's fair to say it's all Democrats, but certainly the elected representatives 
<coughs> excuse me, began to create a, a false narrative. And really it became this very disingenuous conversation where um, the bill was called the Don't Say Gay Bill. Nowhere in the bill does it say don't say gay. But yet I was watching as the White House press secretary and the president of the United States were also um, sharing uh, misinformation. <clears throat> Too bad we didn't have, you know, the Ministry of Truth then, I guess. <clears throat> but, you know, the, no, I'm not a supporter of the Ministry of Truth in general. Me either. So, you know, Me either. But, <laughs> and I know you're not. <laughs> but, you, but, but, you know, I mean, to, to case in point, you know, nothing about this bill said that, but yet you can't, help or you can't you can't fault parents or the american public for believing what the media and the president told them you should be able to believe at yeah. least a little bit you know the information that is shared with you certainly from your government certainly from your president right you should be able to there, there shouldn't be blatant lies um being shared and that was what happened with this bill so you ask me what's happening in classrooms yeah. um in new jersey uh in 2020, new uh, sex ed, ed standards were passed, and uh, they will start uh, being taught this September. I just left New Jersey helping moms to strategize to see how uh, they will stop gender identity discussions and instruction from happening um, with every child in grades K through 12. It is now mandated that uh, children will have what's called gender identity instruction. Um, would you like me to share what that is? Yeah, I'd love I'd love that. So that means that children in a classroom will be told that um, just because uh, you have certain body parts, um, that doesn't dictate whether or not you're a boy or a girl. And your parents might have been wrong. And um, you know, let's just think for a moment about how damaging that is, right? To say to oh a five-year-old, uh, you know, your parents may be wrong about this very basic, right, uh, biological. Um, uh, situation, reality. right? Your, yeah, your, your gender, your biological sex. And, and so what they're telling kids is that you could be a boy or you could be a girl, but you don't need to know you could be a boy and a girl, or you don't have to be a boy or a girl. You could be something else or nothing. Um, and these kids are five. And what parents are saying is, wait a second, this is confusing. This is antithetical to the teaching in my home at times. Um, I don't understand what connection this has to education, why this, is, this needs to be taught to our children. Um, and uh, they're blowing the whistle. Parents are saying, no, this isn't okay with us. Um, but that is what's happening, and it's happening in many different ways uh, across the country. Yeah. To take it one step further, if I could, Jimmy. Yeah. So um, in Florida and, and in other states around the country, um, I, I talked a little bit about uh, parents a wedge being driven between the parent and the child. Um, you have kids, right? Four, I have four kids. Yeah. Uh, they're 17, 14, 12, and 10. And I'll be really honest, being raising middle schoolers is not easy. Um, it's a hard time in kids' lives sometimes, lots of questions, right? Um, I've heard the analogy made before that middle schoolers and teens, preteens and teens, um, like to, to push against their parents. And, they, and I've heard it likened to when you get on a roller coaster and that bar comes down. And then yeah. you um, push against the bar and you don't push against the bar because you want it to fail. You push yeah. against the bar because you want to make sure that it's going to keep you safe. Mm. And oftentimes with children and with teenagers, that's the case. Kids like boundaries in general. It helps them to feel safe and comfortable. Um, and, and they like to know what the expectations are oftentimes as well for them. And um, in this instance, in this time in children's lives where they're in middle school, their bodies are changing, their minds are changing, they're maturing, they want more independence, um, but they don't always know exactly what to do with it, right? 
Um, Schools are interfering between parents and children. And what we're seeing happen, Jimmy, and I know this is going to blow the minds of a lot of people who are listening, but we are actually seeing schools work to create transition programs, gender transition programs, without the consent or knowledge of the parents. This means that kids are coming to school and they're choosing what name they'd like to use, what pronouns they'll use, what bathrooms they'll use. They're being encouraged, by the way, in secret meetings between administrators and children and social workers uh, to make these decisions on their own. The parents uh, have no idea about it. When parents ask about it, they're told their child needs to give consent. And in some places, there are, are things called transition closets, um, mm-hmm. where there's actually different clothes that children can change into. And I'll tell you, I was just on CNN recently with Don uh, Lemon, um, and uh, I was asked, uh, and I shared about transition closets. There's something called the chest binder. I don't know if you know what that is, um, but it's something that uh, girls would use to compress their chest to make it look like they don't have breasts. Schools are giving these to students. They have them accessible for them to use when they're at school. that's, that, that's something that can be dangerous to the child physically. Um, and Don Lemon actually made a joke about it. He said, oh, I think that's something that my sister wore when she would play track. And I immediately said to him, no, sir, that's not what it is. Um, and it's completely inappropriate for a school to be giving that to a child to use mm-hmm. in secret. Um, so this idea that schools are c- encouraging students in middle school at this very vulnerable time in their lives to lead a double life to have a secret identity, that is extremely damaging. And um, you know, I'm thankful in Florida, there was new gender dysphoria guidance that was released. If you haven't seen it, you should look at it. And should we change what the standard of care is for children that are suffering from gender dysphoria? Um, in America, I don't know what how uh, what changes. I think you know what we need to do is we need to see doctors being held accountable for for yeah. taking these steps with children. Yeah, I think this. Gosh, there's so much there because. I think this double life, you know, encouraging this duplicity with our kids, encouraging them to actually keep things secret from their parents. We've seen this here locally here in Colorado. There are all kinds of secret conversations. Once that got exposed, they said, oh, we don't have secret conversations, which we knew they did. Then now they're actually behind the scenes strategizing with their DEI and SEL coordinators uh, so that they can get around the FERPA and the HIPAA laws so that they can still have these secret conversations and parents will never know. Parents can ask. None of this will be part of their permanent scholastic record. So in, in many ways, it's a bit of a treasure hunt for parents trying to figure out what exactly is happening with their kids in those schools with these with these secret conversations. Well, you just think about it. So now the kids in middle school are being exposed to it, whether at school or on social media. Parents, check your kids' phones. You need to be aware of what's happening on social media. So much of this uh, they're being exposed to on social media. And I have to be honest with you, it is shocking to see some of it. But think about it now. If gender identity and this idea that you can just choose whatever sex you want to be and deny your your, your biological sex, mm. that's being taught to five-year-olds. How do you combat that as parents? Because it's taught at five and then at six and seven and eight and every year. So, you know, again, um, James Lindsay, I, I talk about him a lot because he's really helping parents to understand what's happening. He talks about the fact that this is like the building of the Red Guard in America. This is Mao's cultural revolution. This is, this is children being told that um, the ways of the old are bad 
and that their parents are wrong. And I know people will say, oh, well, that used to happen. You know, parents are lame, blah, blah, blah. Not like this. Yeah, well, it was never encouraged by the other adults in authority. That's the problem, right? Fundamentally, teenagers, generally speaking, if they have a rebelliousness at all, or, or they're also trying to just exercise their freedom and their new, newfound independence, they're trying to decide who they are. They were never encouraged by any other parent in their life or any other adult in their life to go against their parents and to be openly rebellious. There were checks and balances there. There was an encouragement to go back to your parents and keep a good relationship there. Now, these adults stand in direct opposition to the parents. Yeah, and the government's pushing it. And yeah. these are government schools. And so what we really need to have happen, and I know this is true, I do not believe the vast majority of teachers buy into any of this woke nonsense. I just yeah. do not believe it. But they are scared and they don't know what to do. And they're in jobs where they oftentimes need to stay in those positions, right? That, that, that's what they do. They're supporting their families. Yes. But we need to make it comfortable for teachers to come out and speak, uh, speak out about these issues and about their concern. And that's what Moms for Liberty has been doing. So you mentioned we have 85,000 members in 186 chapters in 35 states. We're continuing to grow. We are not leaving any states behind. Um, so, um, you know, I've often heard it say like, oh, Colorado, I mean, California, excuse me, or Oregon or Washington or Hawaii, they're, or woke, Colorado. they're blue or Colorado, <laughs> they're blue, they're not. I'm sorry, we're not leaving any states behind um, because what we know to be true is that there are parents in all of these states and, and this is bigger than any political party. This is bigger than any race or religion. We started talking about those things. Why do so many people want to divide our kids? It's very easy to control us if we are divided, yes. right? And so what you're seeing happening with parents is parents are coming together and they're saying, um, you know, being a Democrat or a Republican doesn't just get my vote. Right. Um, and, and we want to see that you're going to demonstrate that uh, you have uh, children's interests at heart. And so, you know, this is bigger, again, than any political party. And I truly believe that it's a parent revolution. Yeah, I think so, too. And you mentioned earlier, you know, that teachers are afraid to speak out. Of course they are, because they are actually warned in many ways by administrators, by board members, that they're not allowed to go against the prevailing narrative. I mean, they oh, are yeah. threatened, you know? Oh, I was at a school board meeting and, a, and one of the teachers spoke and they walked by the union, but members of the union afterwards, and one of the people went like this to them. No way. Oh, yes way. So, it, I mean, it's real, right? I, I know their concerns, but I say that to tell teachers Find a Moms for Liberty chapter or another parent yeah. group around you and, and start building a relationship. You, it can be anonymous. You can yeah. help tell us what's happening in the schools. We can yes. help to expose that so that yes. you'll have some space and freedom. Here's the thing. About 85% of kids go to public school. I believe in school choice. I believe that parents should have the right to be able to direct the upbringing of their children and their education, and that there needs to be more choices for parents. And I believe that with more school choice will also come better accountability in public schools. Yes. But you can pull your kids out. I can pull my yes. kids out. But there will still be children in those schools, and those yeah. children deserve to right. become who they are meant to be. And America deserves for them to become who they're meant to be. We, right? have, we have to have them fulfill their potential for the future of America, right? I mean, we're, we're expecting our schools to produce exceptionally talented, passionate, purpose-driven 
young men and women. I mean, that's what we need them to do. And by the way, we need them also to be really faithful and engaged citizens of liberty, citizens of our free society. Not, and that was one of the things we haven't talked about yet. Um, and by the way, we are encouraging teachers to give us their statements and we read them at the podium. We will read stories from teachers, um, but they are still afraid of it. But one of the things that we're most worried about is this anti-American, anti-freedom, anti-liberty indoctrination. I think it all goes hand in hand, right? There's all four or five pieces of this. But when these folks are getting out, when these kids are graduating and they don't like the country they live in and they openly speak against our history and they see it through this awful uh, oppressive lens, we're in real trouble, aren't we? If, if this continues, this anti-American indoctrination, if that continues, how do we maintain the American idea? Well, I think you're right, and American parents agree with you. Um, I think the vast majority of American parents agree with you. Um, you're not wrong to say that the kids in, in school are being taught that America is a, a broken country that is not that does not have um, a lot of redeeming qualities. I was doing another interview yeah. recently, and um, the interviewer was talking about um, how real history isn't taught in schools. And I said, well, what does that mean? I've mm. not seen any school that doesn't teach about history. Uh, can you good, explain bad, Good, bad, and ugly, right? Good, bad, good, yeah, bad, everything. Ugly. We want yeah. all facets of history taught so yes. that we can learn from it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, being a patriot, loving America is uh, something that we work really hard within Moms for Liberty to help to instill in our children. And uh, what we remind kids all the time is, is that, you know, we have millions of people that want to come and live in this country. Um, and, and to take for granted uh, such a, a beautiful country that is welcoming and uh, where freedom and liberty is uh, valued um, is a mistake, right? And, and it will lead to, the future is not bright if, the, if, if those principles are not heralded. So yeah. um, you're right though, we are seeing it in our schools and it is extremely concerning. You know, what we saw was that this government doesn't work without us. Mm. Um, you know, I think parents really had trusted, again, as I said, a group of people to um, lead. We had voted for people that we thought were elected leaders, but they weren't leaders, they were followers. And yes. when we asked for our voices to be heard, we were ignored. And so now moms are running for office and dads, um, yes. but a lot of moms running for school board, running for local government in Kenosha, Wisconsin. There were three seats open for school board. Uh, two of those seats were taken by Moms for Liberty members and the county supervisor position was uh, won oh by our, our vice chair there in Kenosha County. So, you know, really seeing a lot of action. That's what Moms for Liberty is about. It's about nice. creating the change that you want to see in your own community. We're set up by chapters and counties. There are about a little over 3,000 counties in the United States. We'd like to have a chapter in every single mm -hmm. one. And moms, you know, going to school board meetings, paying attention to what's happening in their local area, um, watching how the money is being spent in the district, making sure that they're participating in the committees and the review processes that are happening in school districts. Um, because our voices not being heard has resulted in this, where we are right now in America, because parents have largely been pushed out of the classrooms and we need to get right back in. Yeah. And that's what I love about Moms for Liberty, because you have you have strategies you have game plans, you've got practical resources on your website. And, and I love the fact that you're organizing these chapters, right? Because what I discovered early on in this process 
was that every single person sees, if they see what's going on and they disagree with it and they want to do something about it, the, or, or worse yet, maybe their child was negatively um, affected by some of this teaching, uh, they feel like they're the only ones going through it. So one of the things I love about Moms for Liberty is that you're organizing these chapters so that no parent feels like they're alone, they're not isolated, and then they can grow from there, and there's strength in numbers, isn't there? Oh, absolutely, and courage is contagious, but it is hard to take a stand. It is hard to speak up at your school board meeting. I won't deny that. Someone asked me recently the hardest thing I've had to do. I think speaking at my own children's school board meeting is one of the hardest things that you can do, honestly. Um, And so, yes, you're right. Uh, The chapters are wonderful. Um, Who knew we were going to make so many friends in our 40s? And and being a patriot and fighting for your country is cool and fun. you know, we're not we're not a bunch of, you know, prude, spinster, helicopter moms. I know that there's this effort to kind of marginalize and vilify parents. We're real moms, right? I, I joke all the time. I've got four kids. I, I, you know, I know how the deed's done. I just don't need you to talk to my five-year-old about sex in a kindergarten classroom, right? I mean, there are some things that are adult stuff. There's something that are, ki- there's some things that are kids stuff. What we've seen is a country that really doesn't have a lot of regard for the innocence of our children. That's right. And um, what American parents are saying is, is that innocence of children is something to be safeguarded and yeah. um, that we would like our kids to have the opportunity to be kids because being an adult, uh, you get to do that for quite some time in your life, lots of responsibilities, but being a child is special. And they're not just little adults. Yes. They're not just small yes. adults. They're actually children. We tuck them into bed at night, right? We know their greatest fears and their hopes. Um, they might believe in Santa Claus. And so again, you know, uh, if your child's waiting for an Easter bunny to hide chocolate eggs, perhaps telling them that because they have a penis means they could be a girl, maybe not the best thing you say to a kindergartner, right? I mean, this is the right. this is where we are though. And and instead of instead of, you know, parents being kind of um Celebrate it, right? For saying, wait a second, these are our children. We, ta- we know we have rights. We also have responsibilities. We own those responsibilities. Instead of that, we have been marginalized and vilified and, and called extremists or domestic terrorists, right? Every time you hear someone say that to you, you just know you are right on track because, yes. you know, parental rights are some- is something that a lot of people don't have a lot of respect for. And that keeps reminding me that it's, it's definitely something worth fighting for. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you mentioned you've got four kids. They're all in the system right now. Almost all of mine, all of mine are out of high school now. So I have four that are all out. Three have graduated from college, all went to Liberty University, which I absolutely promote in a big, big way. Um, My daughter's there now as a freshman. She's enjoying that as well. Um, One of the most optimistic um, environments that I've ever seen at, at the collegiate level. But um, engaging isn't just for for parents who have kids that are in the system now. I'm as I'm more engaged now than I've ever been in this process yep. because I care about the next generations that are coming. So it's not just for parents who have kids in the system now. It's for everybody who cares about the future of our youth and uh, the future of America, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have parents, um, we have moms and dads. So we have dads uh, for liberty. We we say moms for liberty because we believe that, you know, moms are the heart of of, of all of this. You see this this effort to erase women, right? To call us birthing people or chest feeders. My goodness. I mean, I have four kids. If you count... 
The amount of time in my life that I have spent sustaining life with my body, right? You know, yes. that's 36 months of pregnancy, uh, another four years of breastfeeding. Um, so seven years, you know, for Joe Biden to say that- Hey, and by the my- way, no guy's going to do that. Right. Just no, not I, well, I mean, you know, and you can't, but, but we say moms for liberty because strong men support strong women. Um, mm. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, during COVID, especially um, moms- uh, were the ones who left their jobs oftentimes or worked from home and stayed home and took care of kids. Um, and, and so, you know, people have said to me with men, where where are the men? I think a lot of the men were very worried about being canceled in their jobs and their lives and were very concerned about, you know, still working and supporting their families. So we know dads are there. Um, we love dads, grandparents. Um, if you're listening to this, please join Moms for Liberty. You really have nothing to lose here. Oftentimes parents are concerned about backlash for their children when they're in school. So if you don't have kids in school, you have a certain amount of freedom. Um, Get out there, speak to parents and people who are involved in public school and find a way to get involved. Write letters to the editor. Um, Help to hold signs, right? Help to mentor parents and help parents to understand what their rights are, what education used to look like. Um, You know, I remember not long ago we were having a conversation conversation about where did cursive handwriting go? Now all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, comprehensive sexual education, pleasure-based sex education for kindergartners. How quickly times have changed, right? And so it's Mm. good for everyone in the community to get involved and to have expectations for public schools. Everyone pays money. You're paying for the public schools, right? So again, we go back to that analogy, funding failure, why are we spending so much taxpayer money on systems that aren't working? And in yeah. order to fix those systems, it's going to take all of us. Everyone has a role to play. And I think one of the things that you've been very effective at in telling this story is capturing video when the moms, the, I call them the mama bears, you know, get out there and defend their kids and they get to the podium and they record what they're saying. And, and I'm telling you, you're talking about articulate uh, well-spoken, passionate people at the mic. One of the things that helps to put pressure on these board of, of education members is when this gets put out on social media. You know, I mean, there's no question. And that's one of the strategies that we have is capture it and then promote it. Expose what's happening. One of the things I've seen some of your moms do is they will read from a textbook, a, a super objectionable textbook or from a library book material that, and then the board members will stop them, right? Like, hey, whoa, whoa, that's indecent. You can't say that in public. And we're like, it's in our third graders book. That's still happening. I mean, we we have (sighs) school boards that have put books back on bookshelves that they will not allow to be read publicly. Twitter won't post it. Facebook won't post it, obscene content, and yet somehow I continue to have to do interviews regarding, you know, book banning. I mean, my goodness, there was a, the the one thing I'll say that is kind of interesting, um, there was a New York Times article regarding Gender Queer, which is a a book that was written by um, a non-binary person. And in the actual article, they don't use any of the pronouns that the author would have wanted them to use. And I believe they were made, I mean, I don't believe, I know they're made up pronouns. Just totally yeah. made up, like E, Air, A, or something like. Yeah. No joke, and and the so people were mad that they didn't use the make believe pronouns in the New York Times article. So you know, it, it, and even like with Disney, right? Like there yeah. are many people who don't think Disney went far enough. The truth of the matter is, here we have entered a realm of ridiculousness. It is not appropriate for a teacher to want my child to call them mix whatever. That's not a that's not a name. Mix yeah. M X. 
That's not a title. You don't get to just make up words and then force my child to say things. That's compelled speech. We don't allow yeah. for consp- compelled speech um, in yeah. the United States, right? But here's the thing. You talk about what's important about America. You have to know what your rights are in order to yeah. be able to defend them. And so, yeah. you know, one of the things we do is something called a Madison meetup. We encourage people to read the founding documents of our country to make themselves familiar with what, what their rights are and then to share that. We have a lot of immigrants that have come into mm-hmm. our country that believe in American ideals and principles, but what they're finding is that in practice, those things are not being respected. They are allies in your yeah. area. If you want to get yeah. the message out, make sure you're trying to find someone that can help you communicate in a, a, someone's native language to them, oftentimes, especially with parental rights issues. Um, you, there's, there's something lost in, in translation almost, this innate natural right to your children, right? I say fundamental right. That doesn't have the same meaning in another language. But the no. idea that a parent has a natural right is important. So we need to be taking steps in our community to ensure that we're engaging all community members. Um, again, uh, I, I no longer believe in America that there's this Democrat, Republican. I'm not a very political person. I know people think that's funny because they think I'm some, you know, they'll say, oh, it's, you're a political organization. It's not about politics. If we have right. to engage in politics in order to be successful, then so be it, right? Yeah. But this isn't a political issue anymore. This is a parent issue. And yeah. so uh, to your point, everyone needs to get involved. Moms for Liberty um, is unifying parents. Uh, and educating parents on the issues so they feel empowered enough to speak up. And I do believe that um, we're going to write this ship. I mean, Tina and I and our moms are very intentional. We know mm-hmm. that we are fighting for the survival of America, yeah, right? There's no doubt. No doubt. And, and we see it every day. There's a word that I, <laughs> that I use more and more often now, and it's nonsense. Yeah. I, I find myself going, this is just absolutely nonsense. And I think that's what we're fighting against. But that's what I love about Moms for Liberty. You're uniting people, you're coordinating the efforts, you're helping people to understand their rights. I would just encourage all of our listeners and anyone that hears this podcast to uh, join a chapter, start a chapter if there's not one near you, and you will be absolutely emboldened, empowered, you'll be you'll become more courageous than you can imagine because there is strength with, with people around you that have the like-minded ideals. If you, were to, if you were to tell our listeners right now, what's step one that they can take right now to enter into this space? Yeah, you need to find like-minded peoples around you. You can't do this alone. You can't just get elected to school board and think that by yourself you're gonna change things. You need an army behind you. Um, and, and you can't have the army unless you get involved and, and, and take, the, take the step to get elected. So what I would say to everyone is you need to look at yourself and you need to think about what your skill sets, what's your skills, right? Where, where are you the strongest and how can you use your strengths to help to forward this cause, to fight for America, to fight for parental rights? Um, Moms for Liberty is one way to do that, right? So you can go to our website, momsforliberty.org and click on, go to the map, find your state, click on the state. You can see where there are currently chapters if you, if you don't have a chapter near you in your county, click the Start a Chapter button, and you can learn a little bit more about how to start a chapter. Um, there's a vetting process. Um, I will say we do go through an interview process. We want to make sure that the leaders that we're engaging with are strong, um, smart, committed people who align with us in principle. You can go to our website and check out uh, what we stand for and how we fight. It's all right there. Um, but really, it takes 10 like-minded individuals in your community coming together um, and knowing you can make a difference. And I promise you, um, 
you really can make a difference. Uh, all yeah. of us getting involved and engaged and working together really can save uh, the future of this yeah. country. I love the fact that you have a vetting process. I think it's important that we, you know, make sure that they're like-minded, right? That we're all moving in the same direction. Tell us a little bit about the National Summit. I, I'm inspired to try and get there in July. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you. Um, so National Summit in July the 14th through the 17th in Tampa, Florida. Very, very excited. We have a, a special uh, speakers that are coming that we can't release just yet, but believe me, they're pretty good. Um, and then we have some speakers that we have announced that are awesome as well. Um, so uh, some different keynotes. We'll be hearing from Betsy DeVos. Uh, she just, uh, former, yep, former um, Secretary of Education, um, talk about seeing behind the education curtain. Betsy certainly has and she'll be there to share about that. Um, James Lindsay will also be speaking. Jack Brewer will be speaking on Sunday morning. Um, we hope that we have some other people in the works. Uh, beyond that, um, two days of educating and empowering parents, giving them tools in their toolbox so that they can go out and they can make the change they want to see in their communities. Um, again, who knew you were going to make so many friends in your 40s? We've been given this opportunity to come together, right? Like-minded individuals to use the very best of our skills and to embrace what is very best about America and to fight for our country. And it's a privilege. Um, yeah. It's the Joyful Warrior Summit, Jimmy. Um, I, I saw said that. that. Very, <laughs> I said that very early on. I'll be honest. You know, it's very easy to be angry right now. There are a lot of things that are happening um, that we could all be very angry about. And we are angry about some of those things. But I didn't want my kids to grow up remembering a mom who was angry all the time, yep. right? And I know our moms feel the same way. So we say uh, that we are joyful warriors. We're gonna fight Love like it. hell with a smile on our face because it's a privilege to be American mm. and it's a privilege to fight for this country. Well, what a great way to end our time together. I'm so proud of you, I'm thankful for you. Um, you are a joyful warrior for sure. And we're optimistic. You know, we believe that our best days are ahead, regardless of what our political leaders may say. Our best days are ahead. It's going to be because of you, Moms for Liberty and groups like you. Um, thank you. We're going to promote the crud out of this because we want people to join this organization. We believe in it and we believe that you're making an incredible difference. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. I appreciate it. You're the best. It. You're the best.